Calling all Swifties and champions of change, Like a Girl Media is rolling out the red carpet for you with our Thrive Like a Girl contest. We're all about celebrating powerful women leaders who inspire us to dream big and push boundaries. And who embodies that spirit more than Taylor Swift herself? Here's your chance to see her live in concert. We're giving away two tickets to Taylor Swift's show in London on Saturday, June 22nd. Imagine being part of the magic, all thanks to Like a Girl Media. Entering is easy. Subscribe, share, and show us which episodes inspired you the most. Visit our website or check our social media for all the details. Don't just dream it, be it. Thrive like a girl and make this summer unforgettable. Contest opens globally. Voidware prohibited. Must be 18 or older to enter. No purchase necessary. Subscribe and share with hashtag thrive like a girl and tag us at like a girl underscore media for entry. Unlimited entries means unlimited chances. Winner chosen at random after contest closes May 20th, 2024. We'll be notified via DM. Make sure your profiles are not private. Check full rules on our site. This is your shot to see Taylor Swift live. Don't miss it. This episode is brought to you by Chirpy Bird, Inc. CMS's Merit-Based Incentive Payment System, or MIPS, is super complex. And if clinicians ignore the program or perform poorly in it, it can result in a hit to their revenue and reputation. Chirpy Bird is proud to say that more than 95% of its clients are exceptional performers in MIPS, meaning they've maximized the score that directly translates into their Medicare reimbursement rate. Chirpy Bird offers their audit-proof services to practices of all sizes through an affordable monthly subscription that includes unlimited access to a regulatory expert who guides them in knowing what data to track, how to create workflows that make capturing that data easier, and ensures that they submit it all to CMS on time and performing at its best. Contact Chirpy Bird today or learn more at chirpybirdinc.com. That's chirpybirdinc.com. Welcome to the Hit Like a Girl podcast. This is High Tea with Grace, where we spill the tea on HIT. I'm very excited to welcome Julie Stover from eVisit. Julie, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Grace. I'm glad to be here. So we're going to talk all things telehealth today. So tell me about eVisit and the role that you play there. Yeah, well, it's my favorite topic, so I'm, I'm glad to do that. So I've been uh, here with eVisit since uh, the beginning of December. But I think what's really cool for me is, is I've been an official part of the team since December, but I actually was a customer of eVisit for a couple of years before that. So I feel very fortunate having sat, if you will, on the other side of the table and uh, and kind of gotten to see eVisit from, from both sides. And so I think it gives me a unique perspective on our business. I joined the team as the chief strategy officer. And so I'm going to be leading a, a number of exciting new efforts, uh, as well as being involved in, in our day-to-day core business as, as is. Um, but lots of exciting things coming up for us. Uh, I would say high level, you know, eVisit is a virtual care platform. And, you know, honestly, we've we've started to take virtual out of the, the description altogether. 
because we simply just believe this is care delivery now. This is healthcare. Mm-hmm. And, and this is where we are in the healthcare industry. And so, you know, we've started to really use the, the term care delivery platform instead of instead of virtual care. But I think just for the sake of explaining to folks, that's who we are and that's what we do. And we really enable our customers to deliver care in creative, more innovative ways than possibly they ever have before. And what we're seeing a lot of right now is even when maybe they have been doing virtual care uh, in, let's just say, pre-pandemic, they're really changing and reshaping the way that they're thinking about that. And Mm -hmm. and quite frankly, they're doing that for the sake of their organizations and how that landscape has changed a little bit. But they're also doing it because their patients' expectations have changed as well. Oh, absolutely. That's so true. Yeah. You know, we saw COVID just brought, COVID brought telehealth into the mainstream. And you're right. It's all just care from home. It's not virtual care anymore. This is how people are doing their care. Um, But we know that a lot of providers still underutilize the technology, um, kind of failing to apply it in ways that can, you know, enhance their practices. You know, patients want this. So I'm interested. What do you think about the state of the industry right now? Yeah, well, I think what, you know, what you're seeing is kind of what a little bit of what was happening when uh, you you remember when we all made kind of the big shift, if you will, to electronic oh, yes. records? Yeah. You know, there was this resistance. There was this pushback, if you will, from, you know, providers who have kind of, this is the way I've always done it, right? And so for many providers, it's hard because the way they mm. were trained and, and really probably the reason why they got into medicine altogether was that face-to-face interaction with a patient. So I'm certainly sympathetic to that. But I think, you know, what we're seeing now is, is this evolution and this growing understanding and level of comfort with the fact that, you know, this is a phenomenal way in many instances to deliver care, um, you know, better and, and faster and more efficiently. And mm. so, uh, you know, I think that's where we are. While there's still some, some hesitation, uh, the, the game has certainly changed. Absolutely. And like, what are ways you think that providers maybe could be leveraging telehealth to increase this efficiency and increase revenue now that reimbursement models are starting to align with the needs of patients and the needs of the industry? Yeah, well, you know, one of the biggest ways is, and you hear this so much right now, is provider burnout, you know, Mm -hmm. clinician burnout, Mm -hmm. and, and not even just burnout, but just lack of resources in general. Uh, you know, providers leaving the the industry uh, at a faster rate than they ever have before. And so when you start to think about the role that technology can play, even beyond just the the consult itself, it's what can you do to utilize and leverage technology on the front end of that encounter to make sure that number one, a virtual visit is even feasible for what's going on with the patient. Uh, Does the patient need to come in and be seen in person? Do they need to actually just go on to the ER or could they go to a completely different point of care? So I think when you when you start to think about those efficiencies, it's about, you know, let's let's do kind of let's utilize the tech to do that front end screening Mm -hmm. to get them to the right place and kind of take a little bit of that burden off of that front end staff altogether to, to determine, does this patient even need to be in the office today? Or could we see them uh, in a different manner or send them to a, to a different location altogether? 
Yeah, that is so true. That is, I mean, that makes so much sense from a parent perspective. It's, I, I don't mind doing that to, to say to, for them to give me the correct appointment. I don't want to waste anyone's time. There's mine, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Are yeah. there any other ways you can see it really, you know, being leveraged to increase this efficiency? Yeah, I mean, you go into the hospital setting in gen, you know, just as a as a great example. One of the things that I was doing with the technology with this this platform prior to was participating in a national program, a CMS innovation initiative called ET3. And ET3 at its core is really trying to gain efficiencies within emergency medicine in general. And, you know, I'm not sure if a lot of people know this, but EMS agencies actually are only reimbursed when they physically transport a patient to the ER. And, you know, that all patients don't need to go to the ER, right? Some, unfortunately, don't have trans modes of transportation. So an ambulance might be their way to get there. Some still, again, don't know if that's where they need to be at all. And so they're calling 911 quite frankly, again, just to kind of get that triaging. So ET3 actually gives the, the paramedics the opportunity to get to the scene, make what CMS has termed as an appropriate determination of care. Does the patient need to go on to the emergency room? Okay, great, we're gonna take them, absolutely. But could they go to what CMS has called an alternative destination of care? Maybe that could be a FQHC, an urgent care, a primary care, mental health clinic, you name it. Uh, or they are uh, also offering what's called treat in place, which is where the virtual technology comes in. And so the paramedics right there on the scene notify a physician and say, hey, I've got a, got a visit for you. And right there in the patient's home, office, wherever they might be, they connect with a physician and do the visit right there. So the just the efficiencies that are gained in this process altogether, not just from the physical in-person impact on that patient going to that facility unnecessarily, but just for the ambulance crews, that gets those trucks back in rotation faster. It saves them time. They're able to get reimbursed for still the, the effort and, and the work that they've put in. Uh, but in some instances, this is huge for counties and or areas that might only have a couple of ambulances available. It just, you know, increases again, the efficiency of that crew and, and it puts them back in rotation faster to address, you know, more acute uh, emergent type situations and conditions. So there's so many ways, so many ways that technology is, is starting to, to be used uh, in more innovative and creative ways um, just to, just to improve upon the entire care delivery process. Mm, that's incredible. I had never heard about that. And I'm sure a yeah. lot of folks that are on this channel are really interested in learning more about that. Is that on the CMS website? Do you have a, yes. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Check it out on the CMS website and, and just, you know, you can, you can look up ET3. Uh, and again, it's referred to as a CMS innovation initiative. Wow. Yeah. So now at HIMSS 22 in Orlando, I was there as well, and we heard the phrase digital front door ad nauseum. Now, in a recent article by Dave Lovecchio in a Healthcare Business Today, he was talking about the buzzword bingo and how at HIMSS this year, you could have filled out every single card because these terms were all over. Do you yeah. like the term digital front door? 
What do you think about it and, and why or why not? I, you know, I don't like the term digital front door and, and I'll tell you why, you know, patients are not just coming in the front door of facilities. And, and so I think that it's, it's necessary to explain the concept. Again, people resonate with the term from a conceptual standpoint, but really it's about the digital front door, the back door, the side door, the garage, you know, whatever, heck, maybe even the chimney, I don't know. Um, but the way that they're entering healthcare environments is so different and so varied. And so healthcare organizations, you know, those are the types of things they're having to look at right now and take into consideration is, okay, patients are entering our system from this direction. What do we need to do to engage them again, differently, more effectively, more efficiently uh, to get them to the right place, to get them to the right folks, to, to enable care for them. And so Again, high level digital front door, I get it. It is everywhere, it's trendy, it's a hot topic, but it, it's really so much bigger than that. It's really so much bigger than just the front door because how many times can you say you actually walked through the front door of a hospital? Not not many, you know, we got mm. from a lot of different angles. And so I think it's just about thinking, you know, thinking about your engagement strategy as a whole and uh, and and where do we need to be meeting the patients? Yeah. And at HIMSS 22, we were also kind of hearing about how healthcare organizations are shifting their focus from telehealth adoption to sustainability. Now to really sustaining this adoption and making it a critical part of their organization and their, their financial framework, et cetera. So, you know, what telehealth trends are you seeing today in that regards? Yeah. You know, Grace, what I love about this is that I, I hate the way it had to happen, of course, but if you've been in the telehealth space for more than five minutes, you have said every year of that time, you know, this is the year, this is the year, this is the year for telehealth. And then here comes 2020, right? Who would have thought? And sure enough, it was the year where the game changed literally overnight. And so what happened with that, again, is a blessing and a curse, is all the regulations were relaxed. You can now, you know, you can bill for all of these and receive reimbursement, these, these encounters. You can pretty much use any kind of technology that you want to use. And, and I jokingly said this, but it's, it's really the truth. Everything to include, you know, two tin cans strung together with string. Um, I feel <laughs> like that was even allowable, you know. But the challenge with that is, is that, and, and I've said this forever, the technology really is, it's really the last thing that you should be making a decision on. And so while people during the pandemic, they, they had to, right? They had to make quick decisions out of necessity. It's just, it's just what was required. Mm -hmm. But now they're able to go back and look at those decisions and truly decide if those decisions they made at that point in time are meeting their needs. And in many instances, they're not. So when I say the technology is kind of the last thing that you should be thinking about, you know, I would encourage folks, and, and I have, you know, throughout my career, folks always come to you and they're like, oh, look at this really cool piece of technology, you know, hardware, software, whatever, we want to use this. And, uh, and unfortunately, what I've seen is folks spend a lot of money on technology that they have not, you know, truly built out the strategy and the workflow 
prior to leveraging that technology in. And so it ends up not being effective after all. And so what we try to do is, you know, we work with our customers to, to let's talk about the workflow today. Take technology out of the equation. How are you treating those patients today? What does that look like? Step by step by step. Who does what? When do they do it? Why do they do it? How do they do it? You know, all those different steps. And then let's talk about, okay, where do you see technology coming into the equation to, to potentially change that? You know, where do you see the intersection of technology in this workflow? Okay, great. What does that look like? What is it that you're trying to improve upon? How are you going to measure success? And then go look for the technology that's going to enable exactly what you just mapped out. Because otherwise, you're going to get a year down the road and somebody's going to say, hey, was this program successful? And you're going to say, oh, yeah, absolutely. And they're going to say, really? Why? And you're not going to have anything to show for it. You know, so I think that is the problem is that because the technology is new and different, folks have a tendency to start with that. And it really should be one of the last decisions that you're making when you're wow. That's really impactful. And it is a really a huge shift from what the industry has been doing to date. And, yeah. and it is totally the way that people should be doing things. It makes so right. much sense when you say it that way. Yeah. Um, you know, something else I've also heard you say is that healthcare, uh, healthcare providers should leverage digital, uh, digital and virtual tools to enable hybrid care delivery. So yeah. can you define hybrid and what that means? Because I think you're the one to answer this question for me. So yeah, let Absolutely. me know what you think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not going to tell you that, you know, that all care should be delivered, you know, via virtual platforms. Absolutely not. I would never advocate for that. I I think that there is a very natural, beautiful blend of the two. Again, there are just folks that need to be seen in person. I think that is that is absolutely going to always be the case, whether that's in a hospital, whether that's in a clinic, wherever that happens to be. But there is a very large number of of issues, if you will, that can be addressed via virtual. And quite frankly, some of them are probably better suited for virtual. There's a lot of counseling. There's a lot of, you know, clinical and and medical training and education that can be done. There's a lot of benefits uh, to being able to utilize technology. And I'll give you just a couple of other quick examples uh, to, to do that. But I would say hybrid is, again, truly evaluating the patient's condition and determining what is that balance of inpatient versus virtual care that can be delivered to drive the best possible outcomes for that patient from a quality perspective, you know, from overall care. And, you know, we hear a lot about, you hear that again, another, you know, trendy term, population health, you know, which is great. I get it. But what population health means is so varied and so different for so many people. And so let's just take folks with chronic care conditions as an example. They're always going to need to be seen in person once, probably twice a year, maybe more often, depending on what's going on with them. But utilizing virtual in between those in-person visits Mm -hmm. just really enhances the overall care delivery. Because as a patient, I'm not saying anyone would do this, but I'm just saying as a patient, via text, via phone, via email, I 
can tell you whatever I want to tell you about how my condition is and how I'm how I'm doing, you know, how I'm progressing. But but when you physically have the opportunity to look at me and to see me and to carry on a conversation with me, then you have the opportunity to to evaluate me yourself and wow. and make those actual determinations. And so I think as we start to look at, you know, Chronic conditions, again, are a great example. And and just that overall care and how we can improve upon that, if we can just put our eyes on a patient, you know, more often, um, then it's just going to to improve the overall system in general. Um, But I think that, again, we've got to get to a place where, where reimbursement meets that world um, and unfortunately, in, in all instances, it's still not there today. Yeah, it seems like it's a very strategic dance to improve care at home and improve care in the in the office and make sure that the doctor and the patient are having relationship and it's being improved in the in-between, like you said. But those reimbursement models are not recognizing that dance and they need to do the Charleston or something. They got to figure it out. <laughs> they do. They wow. really do. Yeah, and I, I think it's really upon us, you know, to to advocate, to continue to advocate and and really push this type of legislation, you know, in, in order for value to really truly make the transition to value-based care. Um, we've we need a lot more data. And so I think, you know, data is gonna tell the story and and we can't, you know, we can't continue to be anecdotal and our descriptions of the impact. And so I think that it's it's upon us to continue to advocate and legis- you know, push legislators uh, around these, these policies, but, but it's also upon us to build these models, collect the data, tell the story more effectively than we ever have before, and, uh, and just truly validate, you know, why this is, this is the way care is and going to be, you know, delivered in the future. Mm, that's very powerful and is so, so, so true. Now, our listeners love to hear about the industry, but they also love to hear about you personally and your personal journey. So I wanted to start with uh, on this side of the conversation. Uh, what's your favorite leadership book? Your chief strategy officer, you are strategic mind. Is there a particular book that you you like or you've read that's inspired you that you'd like to encourage others to read as well? Yeah, so I'm a reader. I, uh, I, my, uh, my peers make fun of me because I am typically probably reading about five books at a, at the same time. Wow. You are a reader. <laughs> <laughs> I'm usually reading, uh, you know, some for pleasure, some for personal development, a mix of both. And so kind of depending on my mood, you know, I, I pick up whichever one uh, fits that mood at the time. I'll tell you, I just, uh, I have a couple that are top of mind for me right now. Uh, there's so many great ones out there. One in particular that I recently read for the second time, uh, and I I said to myself when I read it the second time, I said, this is a book that I should read every year. Every year I should do it and remind myself. It's called Juggling Elephants. Mm. And it's it's a quick and easy read. I'm telling you, you can read it on a plane ride. Um it's uh it's it's a really quick fast read but it just it just resonates personally and professionally but it's just about you know prioritizing and how if you're if you're trying to do everything then then you know most all of those everything's suffer you know mm-hmm. and so it's really about prioritizing 
the, diff- the, the most important things in your life so that they get the time and attention that they need and it, and just helping you feel more balanced. I think that's the first thing, you know, I would say is we all need to, to find that balance uh, in every respect of our lives. And then the second one that I just recently read is called The Energy Bus. Again, it's a pretty quick read, but it's it's a fun read. Um, and what I love about it is, you know, is that you don't always have to be the most talented person on the team. You can bring the most energy and the most optimism and, and just that team attitude and that can-do spirit. And, and you know, it's, uh, it's just so powerful. It's so powerful to every environment. And so that's a goal for me is just mm. that is positivity and just trying to find, you know, the positive in, in every situation and just be, be that energetic force, if you will, for my team and that optimistic light. And, uh, and so I love the energy bus because it kind of takes that perspective and, and really describes it in a very fun, but effective and meaningful way. And they actually change the acronym CEO instead of being chief executive officer to chief energy officer. And so we have a phenomenal CEO, official CEO at, um, at eVisit, but I, I'd like to think that sometimes I'm the CEO as well, uh, just from an energy standpoint. That is fantastic. I'm going to have to get both of those books and read them for sure, because obviously all women are working through that in their life and and wanting to keep that positive perspective and juggle all the things. And so I really appreciate those recommendations. Yeah, for sure. So I'm also wondering what makes you tick as the chief energetic officer, energy officer, what makes you tick in your life? What, what gives you joy? Well, you know, I, I really, I've prided myself on uh, throughout my career of being able to say that I, I don't get out of bed every day and feel like I'm going to work. I love what I do. I'm passionate about it. Um, I, uh, I love the people that I work with and I, and I, what I really love about it is just, and I've, I've said this for, uh, ever since I really officially kind of made the transition in the healthcare industry to the telehealth space in general, is I uh, I said not you know people don't typically access healthcare because they want to mm-hmm. they access healthcare because they have to or they need to and because of that you know they don't always have a positive outcome it's not mm-hmm. always for for positive reasons. And so when I really, when I started getting involved in the telehealth space, what I realized is that any day that I had the opportunity to talk about telehealth and the impact that it could mean for, for patients, for the communities they live in, for the healthcare system in general, it was going to be a good day. And, and so that's where my passion was born. As I said, this is my way in healthcare of of you know truly finding that that positive aspect in it you know where everybody wins everybody yes. who's part of the equation wins so i would say prefer- professionally that's what makes me tick is that this is i continue to believe to this day you know this has such an opportunity to to have a positive impact on on everyone that it touches in every regard so that that first um and, and but I would say, you know, above all else, you know, my family, my husband, my kids, you know, all of my friends and my loved ones, uh, I find such great joy in, in them and their achievements and their successes. And so I love, you know, being part of that. 
We have older children now, uh, and so, you know, young adults, if you will. And so watching them as they're, as they're growing and maturing and, and kind of setting into their careers is a really exciting time for me. We're empty nesters, and so uh, we say that our animals are our kids now at home. So we, we love on our fur babies and, uh, and, you know, enjoy them a lot. But, yeah, we otherwise just enjoy traveling and, you know, doing fun things in this phase in our life. And, uh, and so, yeah, so I would say all of those things make me tick. That's fantastic. Now, I, uh, the last question for today, today um, tell us about the work that you're most proud of that you've worked on there at eVisit or in the past or whatever work that you are most proud of today. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, so again, I would just go back to, I, I think that anytime you can involve um, a critical access facility as part of these equations in, in virtual health, mm -hmm. uh, it is a mm -hmm. huge win. And so I'll tell you what, a, you know, a little bit more about what I mean by that. So you hear every day about critical access facilities closing in this country you know, due to, you know, typically reimbursement issues, um, you know, things around around that. And so what I have had the privilege to be involved in through the years is critical access facilities taking virtual help and changing their business models and, and seeing revenue in different ways that in many instances enable them to keep their doors open. Wow, so wow. services into their communities that they would never be able to deliver otherwise. And, and so, you know, again, that's a huge win for the patients because they're now getting, you know, care closer to home. But these facilities who are, you know, in many instances, the only care delivery locations for folks for sometimes hours away. And, and I've had the opportunity to just bring those types of programs to some of the, you know, most rural communities in this country. And I think when I see them take the technology and put it in place and, and not only enable their, you know, the care to those patients, but probably keep their doors open. And, and those are employers, right? So those are folks' jobs and their livelihood. And so it's, it's so much bigger. It has so much more of a bigger impact than, hey, we're just going to change the way we deliver care. No, you just you kept the doors open to that facility. People kept their jobs as a result of this. And uh, and then, you know, oh, by the way, you probably saved lives, too. Mm -hmm. and, and so, you know, mm -hmm. all of those things in and of themselves are huge together it's just such a beautiful it's such a beautiful opportunity and so you know again that's where my passion for this comes from these these rural communities and and oh by the way urban communities suffer too right oh, like yes. there, there are there are issues in urban communities as well but for me when i see the news and i see you know how many critical access facilities closed in a day i, I think in my head man I wish I could have helped them, you know, with a program mm -hmm. like this. I wish I could have helped them put a program like this in place because we might have been able to change their story. Yeah, that is so inspiring. Oh, I love this, Julie. That is terrific. Now, to finish off this conversation, right, where can our listeners find you online? Oh, well, predominantly on LinkedIn. So I would say, you know, please connect with me on LinkedIn. I love it. I love learning from, I, you know, LinkedIn has, again, become kind of just this great source of training and education and knowledge sharing. And so I would say absolutely connect with me on LinkedIn. 
Uh, we have a phenomenal team also that's doing a lot of, you know, blogs as well. So please check out the eVisit website and, and look for a lot of that content, not just from me, but from, from many of our other teammates. And so, yeah, I would love to connect and, and chat with any of them and hear their stories and, uh, and you know, just continue to grow and, and learn. That's terrific. Now, before I forget, did you happen to bring tea with you today? I did. I brought ah. tea. Yes, I am also uh, a love house plants. Uh, this is as a result of the pandemic. And so I, in addition to being the parent of my fur babies, am also a proud plant parent. <laughs> That's amazing. Do you know, happen to know how many plants you have? Oh gosh, I don't know, um, but a lot. I would say, yeah, probably at least, oh God, probably at least 10 to 12 in, in several different rooms in the house. <laughs> I also love to garden outside, yeah. but they do say there's so many health benefits to having plants and mental health, physical health, Absolutely. to working with the dirt and keeping the plants healthy. Have you found that to be I true? Have, I have. This started for me during the pandemic and, and it has just grown from there. But it, yes, many health benefits, you know, of, of course, increased oxygen levels. Here we are stuck in our houses, right? So let's increase the oxygen and, uh, and so many benefits to that. But I would say that it, it is very therapeutic for me. And when I want something to do where I can just truly focus on that and not think about many other things, uh, I do find that in, in caring for and taking care of the plants. So, um, you know, and folks always say they're like, oh no, I kill everything. I was pretty much a I kill everything person prior to this. <laughs> so um, I have, you know, found the ones that, that seem to like me the most, as well as me liking them. And uh, and I'm not gonna lie, I've killed a few uh, through this uh, through this time period. But um, but I've I've really started to enjoy it a lot. That is just too good. Thank you so much for sharing that with us, and thanks for joining us. Absolutely. Thank you again. And thank you, folks, for joining us too. Check out the Hit Like a Girl podcast website and YouTube page for more great guests like Julie today. Cheers. Cheers. Like a Girl Media is more than a media network. It's a community. We want to meet you and amplify your voice and the voices of outstanding women innovating in healthcare. Interested in starting your own podcast or hosting an event near you? Connect with us online or in person. We're here to support and empower you. 